Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the seed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own seed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered foods. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. One of the latest practices in biotech is a process that allows DNA to be edited down to the letter. Known as CRISPR technology, scientists now have the ability to control gene mechanisms with unprecedented accuracy and without traditional, invasive, high-cost GMO procedures as they exist now. In effect, CRISPR is the evolution of GMO. All of this allows corporations to continue producing genetically altered foods without ever having to worry about legislation or labeling mandates. As consumer right-to-know demand increases and more companies are responding to protests by voluntarily labeling GMO products or by removing them from their ingredients altogether, industry is well ahead of the game and consumers should not be fooled into complacency. CRISPR technology allows for a crafty bypass because it is not recognized technically as a GMO process as is currently defined. So industry can use this technology to dodge existing regulations now or in the future and avoid GMO stigmas in public perception as they continue to drive their corporate profit. They would not have to disclose this new process to regulators or the public, rendering the hotly debated GMO labeling issue effectively moot. Present-day loopholes in an obsolete agribusiness regulatory system may just be the biggest challenge yet as consumers fight to stay informed and aware of what is happening to the manufacturing of food. Is CRISPR technology the ultimate bait and switch in the GMO debate? On tonight's show, I'm going to talk about the latest gene editing technology known as CRISPR and the profound implications it is having on the GMO debate. This technology is allowing bioscientists the ability to control gene mechanisms in an unprecedented and completely different way than what is currently being done now through traditional GMO techniques. The bottom line is that big food and biotech corporations will supply the same end products they've been supplying for years. But now, because they are produced by different techniques, the outdated regulatory structure currently in place will allow them to completely skirt around certain restrictions concerning labeling, testing, and the release of important information about these products. It also provides a way for these companies to dodge the huge GMO stigma that has been building in public opinion as people are becoming more and more aware and informed about what is happening. Unfortunately, if regulations remain unchanged, 
These new gene editing technologies will make the GMO labeling issues that we've been recently up in arms about and making progress in really irrelevant. Because, in fact, unless we pay close attention, the whole issue may slip into oblivion as something the industry used to do but now does not. So how do we as consumers stay informed with these kinds of changes taking place, particularly when companies are going to great lengths to hide this information from us? Well, that's one of the questions I'm going to address tonight, among a few others. Okay, let me begin to jump into this subject by first saying this. We have become accustomed to hearing the term GMO, and by now most of us know it stands for Genetically Modified Organism, but we don't necessarily know what that really means, let alone making the distinction between GMO and gene editing technology. Many people I've spoken to in the last oh, couple of years believe that these things are synonymous, and they are right to a point, but GMO and gene editing techniques strive to achieve similar outcomes, but they are in fact very different indeed. GMOs are traditionally created by physically taking DNA from one species and splicing it into the DNA of another, forcibly combining traits from both organisms to bring about some desired outcome. The altered organism resulting from this process is known as transgenic. Now, there are many examples of this that have been tried before, such as strawberries and tomatoes with inserted fish genes to protect them from freezing, goats with inserted spider genes to produce milk with proteins stronger than Kevlar for use in industrial products, and one of the most pervasive and relevant examples, corn, inserted with genes from soil bacteria and E. coli bacteria, making it tolerant to Monsanto's chemical pesticide spray Roundup. But in contrast to traditional GMOs like this, when we speak of gene editing, we are talking about the capability of altering sections of DNA without removing it from a cell's nucleus. This could include deleting part of a gene or deleting the entire thing. It could also mean adding to or changing the genome of an organism by inserting genes or altering genetic material that is already there. It can really be viewed as a type of genetic reprogramming whereas traditional GMO methods involve bringing sections of foreign DNA into a cell, gene editing merely changes what's there in the first place. With this technology, it's possible to very accurately reconfigure or repair sections of DNA to be whatever is desired. For instance, it's possible to precisely cut out the mutation responsible for cystic fibrosis and to replace it with a copy of a healthy, unmutated version of the same gene. And that is absolutely miraculous, isn't it? That's fantastic. But as incredible as this sounds, more recently, bio-researchers have come to understand that there is much more involved when making changes to a single gene. There are other hidden influences from other areas of a genome that may come into play. Other sections of DNA that were once thought to be genetic junk actually have a strong effect on overall gene function taking place. So the long-standing idea that simply changing out a bad gene for a good one is not necessarily a true fix for the problem. In fact, it could create other more serious problems, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Now, the latest evolution in gene editing technology is known as CRISPR-Cas9, and it works by assembling a single strand of RNA in the lab to contain a specific sequence of nucleotide bases 
in a particular order that can then be used to search for a corresponding sequence along a section of DNA. When the RNA probe finds the unique sequence of base pairs on the DNA, it cuts it at the exact locations defined by the RNA endpoints. When the DNA is cut apart, the gap that is formed can be rejoined at different locations or filled in with a newly designed sequence in its place. So again, the primary difference between this technique and the way traditional GMOs are created is that foreign DNA is never required in gene editing. There is no need to bring genetic material from a different species into a cell. Here's a little background to put the current GMO laws into some context. One of the biggest concerns for biotech companies first generating transgenic products in the late 80s and early 90s was the potential negative regulation structure. At the time, because GMO technology was really still in its infancy, and companies like Monsanto had been investing significantly in it, there was a lot of uncertainty about the future of biotech as a business and if it would actually pay off. If they went forward, would government regulations be so extensive that commercialization of their bioproducts would become just too expensive? That was the big question. This set off a comprehensive and intense lobbying campaign by Monsanto and others aiming to influence U.S. government officials who were in charge of regulation policy. They wanted to ensure a lax framework to operate within and one that would give them autonomy as they pursued their business objectives. A big part of the whole effort was to convince these officials that transgenic technology was completely viable and safe and obviously they were successful. Beginning in the Reagan years and throughout the Bush senior administration, the biotech industry was shielded from many regulations, allowing their transgenic products to enter the marketplace with little to no testing, which has been the reigning standard ever since. But within the last decade, consumer awareness about GMOs, their associated pesticides, and the giant agribusinesses behind them has increased dramatically. This is mainly due to consistent findings by independent scientific studies revealing long-term health hazards, along with consumer watchdog groups utilizing social media to make these findings more widespread and known to the public. The anti-GMO voice has caught on. Consumers want to know. Public opinion within the United States has begun to turn the tide by exposing biotech and food companies for their unethical, profit-driven practices and by holding them more accountable for their actions. Because of consumer pushback, what was once hidden behind a veil of secrecy has now been brought into the open, and people are justifiably angry about what they see. In response to this, the biotech industry and their supporters have tried to convince consumers that there is nothing wrong with transgenic foods, using the logic as policy that they have been deemed close enough to be considered substantially equivalent to native food crops. However, this argument is difficult to take seriously, considering the same companies in question are the companies that authored the policy themselves. Examples like this demonstrate how the back-and-forth struggle between anti- and pro-GMO groups has become well-entrenched. The arguments begin to sound the same, and until recently, it might almost seem that biotech companies would have to yield to the consumer's voice. But with the editing capabilities available just recently, 
and in the current political climate, biotech may have just been handed the biggest trump card ever. With gene editing technology becoming more accessible, easy to use, and relatively inexpensive, what do these companies have to lose by switching over? As shocking as it would be, some experts believe that the agribusiness industry may just be staging the GMO labeling fight at this point, knowing full well it will soon be obsolete anyway. Now, I don't know if I subscribe to that line of thinking, but it's out there. Are they using this as a distraction while quietly moving ahead with this technology, free from public scrutiny? It's anyone's guess, but it can't be denied that this presents a new and unprecedented challenge for consumers. If biotech companies are able to continue producing genetically engineered foods and now through gene editing evolve their products into almost complete autonomy and little to no regulation, how can consumers ever make proper choices about the foods they eat? Well, one way might be to fight technology with technology. Recently, there have been dozens of phone apps popping up, giving consumers real-time information about foods when they're out perusing through their grocery store. Now, I haven't used any of these myself, so please don't take this as a personal endorsement as I simply can't speak to their accuracy. But one of these apps is known as Next Nutrio, which scans packing barcodes to identify numerous chemicals, additives, preservatives, artificial sweeteners, uh, flavor enhancers, and GMO sources hidden in many brand names. Wow, that sounds really cool. Because of this, it's able to give specific information about every ingredient listed on the packaging while explaining exactly what the ingredients are and how they can affect one's health. Another app is known as Chemical Maze, and it claims to identify not only ingredients in different foods, but also the composition of cosmetics, which is something that we rarely think about. It's designed to supply information about risk levels associated with specific consumable products and how they affect different systems in the body. It can even be customized to fit a consumer's health profile, warning them of allergens and other toxins that could be dangerous for them. It also categorizes threat levels, so a person doesn't need to focus on and compare confusing ingredient lists full of unpronounceable chemical names, many of which are genetically engineered. And there is just one more I want to tell you about, as it certainly looks like these are a part of our future in the consumer fight for food integrity and safety. And it comes from the National University of Singapore. Check this out. They have recently developed a portable detection system for pesticide residue on foods. Using nanotechnology and inexpensive paper sensors integrated with a smartphone, this miniature detector will tell you which chemicals and how much of them are on a food's surface. This comes in very handy for vegetables, fruits, nuts, and anything that has an exposed surface. The downside is that most packaged foods have GMO ingredients, like high fructose corn syrup or soy, that are undetectable by this device. However, there is a new test being developed by scientists in China that claims to be the first comprehensive method available to detect genetic modifications in the food itself. It's not currently available to the general public, but it is something on the horizon. It's called the macro test and can identify about 97% of known commercialized genetic modifications to food, about twice as many as any other similar test. 
There is also an online application that goes along with the macro test where results can be reported and synthesized into useful information, making it possible to determine GM content of a sample with high accuracy. This is amazing, but it's actually happening. This could be a revolutionary tool for consumers or independent groups wanting to verify actual GM content in their food rather than relying on published data, which is, as we know, many times produced by the biotech industry itself. But here again, it is unknown if this test will be able to identify genetic changes via gene editing methods. At this point, it looks kind of unlikely because it looks for traditional telltale GMO markers. Because genomic editing is still so new, it's too early to tell if new markers will be identifiable to distinguish whether or not a food contains genetic modifications. But researchers are confident, though, that if changes are made to the genetic structure of foods, there should be a way to identify it. So as the biotech industry continues to evolve, it looks like we can also expect technology to also evolve, designed to arm consumers with as much information about the foods they are buying and consuming as possible. That's really so very exciting, even if it is in a glass-half-full or glass-half-empty point of perspective. Okay. Now, although these kinds of counter-technologies will empower us consumers with information and awareness enabling us to make better choices, it still does not solve the biotech problem. The American public is particularly at risk because big agribusiness lives here. It has been shown how blatantly corrupt and aggressive these companies can be and they seem to have no guilt or conscience when it comes to maintaining the status quo, keeping the public in the dark about their products. Dozens of foreign countries make no hesitation rejecting GM foods because they are outside the magnetic sphere of U.S. agribusiness. Their economies are not affected nearly as much, and so U.S. mega companies bend to their will when it comes to making non-GM versions of their products available. Why can't the same thing happen here in America? Because ironically, the entire GM business structure is subsidized and supported by the U.S. government. And part of this support is in the form of refraining from regulation of new biotechnologies. At this time, there are a small handful of private companies able to perform gene editing services, with some of the largest being Caribou Biosciences, Intellia, CRISPR Therapeutics, and Sangamo. These companies really do the dirty work, so to speak, licensing the technology out to large firms like Dow, DuPont, and Monsanto, who then use it for their own purposes. It's really interesting how the gene editing companies emphasize as selling points that by using their technology, transgenic products can avoid both regulation and public scrutiny. That's bold. <laughs> they also distance themselves from commonly used GMO terminology by presenting their products as non-transgenic, as they aren't technically GMO by the original outdated definition. There is no doubt they would ultimately want to reshape the way people think about the subject creating a new widely accepted norm in which genetic manipulation is either viewed as the standard or better yet, for them to not even be viewed at all. Dow AgroScience calls its licensed editing technology Exact 
and has partnered with the Chinese Academy of Agricultural Sciences to produce a variety of GM rice products in China. DuPont Pioneer has coined their gene editing tools, DNE Technology, and has implemented it in hybrid seed corn production as well as other crops, also including rice. The technology is not only being used for crops and pharmaceuticals, though. Korean biologists have recently used it to create a super muscular pig. They accomplished this by deleting the single gene responsible for inhibiting the pig's muscle growth. But most recently, and perhaps most disturbingly, Monsanto is using gene editing technology in a slightly different way. They have developed a gene editing pesticide known as RNA spray. This will be sprayed on crops in the same way standard chemical pesticides are applied, but will function quite differently. Instead of bugs eating a toxic poison residue and falling dead, the RNA spray, once ingested, attaches to the bug's DNA at a precise location and shuts off a life-sustaining gene, like a switch. So pests are killed in a way that is not considered toxic by normal definition. Such sprays supposedly only turn genes off for a few days or weeks at a time. This means that if a new swarm of insects enters a field a few weeks after the last RNA spray, the plants would no longer be protected, requiring, you guessed it, more spray. If insects evolve to survive the RNA spray, scientists can switch which genes are affected. The argument is that with this technology, since the spray targets specific genes, it can be tailored to affect only certain known pests while leaving other beneficial insects alone. This is the logic of biotech companies, playing with genes switching them on or off, using new technologies whose effects are not fully understood. Yet they proceed as if the scientific laws governing these very complex processes, along with their outcomes, are thoroughly known, predictable, and tested, which they are not. This could not be further from the case. It doesn't take too much to realize that if an RNA spray can be designed to target specific genes in an insect, couldn't then the same process turn genes off in human beings as well? The answer is yes, and you can just imagine the frightening implications of that possibility. Every cell expresses or turns on only a fraction of its genes. The rest of the genes are repressed or turned off. This process of turning genes on and off is known as gene regulation, and it is a natural and important part of normal development. However, scientists still do not grasp its full complexity and behavior. So hypothetically, if other factors are introduced that interfere and disrupt the process, major disaster could happen. This is no joke and could stand a very realistic chance of taking place. The scariest aspect of something like this is the difficulty in controlling an outbreak if one were to occur. If that were to happen unexpectedly, how would we defend against it? Scientists can only speculate as to the safety of these applications. They simply are not able to know there will never be a problem. They proceed forward, implementing these technologies with reckless abandon, flying by the seat of their pants in a, a fingers-crossed mentality that nothing catastrophic will go wrong. And that's not very reassuring, is it? But just as biotech companies are swift to capitalize on producing these kinds of products, they are just as swift in producing convenient safety studies claiming no threat to the environment 
or to our human health. At present, none of the genetically engineered plants on sale in the United States meet the same high health standards many other countries impose on their food supplies. Unlike these countries, the U.S. does not require safety testing of GM crops whatsoever. When it comes to GMOs, the rest of the world uses the precautionary principle to guide their policies. This essentially says that if there is doubt about a product's effect on public health, then it is the burden of suppliers to prove there is no threat prior to commercialization of the product. But in the United States, this is simply disregarded. Here, it works in reverse. Biotech products are given to consumers until a proven threat emerges. In other words, it is essentially the burden of the consumer to prove the threat. Prove the threat exists before action will be taken? Well, that means somebody gets very, very sick or somebody dies. And that's just wrong. You know, until fairly recently, scientists have had a more simplistic view of how gene interaction and inheritance works. That is, many guesses are made as to which genes are responsible for which traits. The thinking has been that if a gene could be fully studied and understood, then the trait it produces could be guaranteed to consistently repeat. However, what they have actually found are layers of complexity when it comes to gene interactions. This means that a gene at face value, existing at a certain location, does not guarantee it will consistently code for the same protein and produce the same result each time. It turns out that the order in which genes are located in relation to one another makes a significant difference, and this is only one of the findings. It is now known that gene interactions can occur even when they are separated by relatively great distances in terms of a cell's nucleus, making it virtually impossible to associate their influence on other genes. And so depending on where a gene happens to be located in reference to other genes along a DNA strand, it could impart different influences as its distance varies from them. Amazingly, in the genetic world, there are even influences from sections of DNA not technically even considered genes at all, and until recently has been thought of as random junk DNA. I mention these things not to be overly technical, but to reiterate the fact that there is so much more to the picture than anyone ever realized. Scientists who are doing the hands-on research in microbiology and genetics are some of the first to admit we are only scratching the surface to having even a shallow understanding of how things function, let alone why they function the way they do. Techniques in gene technology have been clunky at best until now, but we are finding it still doesn't matter. Even as accurate as CRISPR gene editing tools are, there still remain so many unknowns when viewing the whole picture. It's as if every scientific breakthrough opens a door to more and more questions, with some even contradicting what were recently thought to be established facts. On the surface, it is expected that biology should and will behave in a predictable manner, but it is proven again and again that it rarely does. The big point here is this. Even though biotechnologies have become incredibly advanced, expectations that they will give perfectly predictable and repeatable results is just naive or willfully ignorant. And in the case of biotech companies, it could be argued that it isn't a matter of naivete at all. 
they know what they are doing and have a long history of covering up known health hazards and intentionally fudging the facts for the sake of business gains and agendas. Justifying the commercialization of these technologies then by conveniently using studies that their own payroll scientists produce is just ridiculous. It's obscene and an insult to informed consumers throughout this country and the world. I'll sum up tonight's show by re-emphasizing the point that as clever as we are in our scientific discoveries and as quick as profit-driven corporations are to place the stamp of approval and capitalize on these discoveries, we simply do not possess the understanding necessary to make wise decisions in actually implementing and using technologies like gene editing. And we must be vigilant in demanding full disclosure from those in full control of our food. So as you can see, the GMO debate is only in its infancy, and labeling is only one aspect of a much larger picture. And through gene editing techniques designed as loopholes to bypass technicalities, it is already evolving to the next challenge that we, as consumers, must face. And it starts with being informed and understanding what's going on around us. And that has always been my hope with this radio series, and certainly this show tonight. And with that, I've run out of time in tonight's show. Just a reminder, the listener's voice is coming back in the season, probably show four right after the uh, Thanksgiving break. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, go ahead and fill in the form and just send me along your thoughts. I will feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice, it really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. And I also just want to tell you about the Facebook page for the series. If you are enjoying the show and would like to participate in some more interactive communication, I'd love for you to come along and give a like and join in at www.facebook.com slash Anna Kavanaugh, Mad Science Genetic Crossroad, and also on Twitter at GMO Mad Science. And I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. Please join me again for more on GMO and the biotech industry. The next show is scheduled for next Tuesday. That's November 17th. Tune in then for Biomedicine, Behind the Big Pharma Promise. As a society, we have become reliant on high-tech remedies to cure us of disease and improve our physical and mental well-being. Billions of dollars are made by selling us these very promises. But how much of this is really necessary? Are we being exploited by Big Pharma and the biomedicine industry? Are we being sold the illusion of health and longevity through genetically engineered drugs and vaccines designed for maximum profit at minimal production cost? We'll be taking a deeper look into the troubling reality of targeted drug development, the questionable methods of mass producing them, and the huge yet unseen corporations and affiliates profiting behind the scenes at what certainly does seem to be consumer expense. Is all of that expense financial, or are we paying too high a price by compromising our long-term health without even realizing it? How much trust should we be giving these corporations, and how much blind faith in their promises? I hope you'll join me for next week's broadcast. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. 
For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed.